feel like wherever you are, you're there and you start dreaming bigger about like things you can do. There was a long period of time where I was like, can I run a business that has five people in it? Like, oh my God, like how will we manage these people? What will happen? Then it was like, can I run a business that has 10 people? And it was like, then can I run a million dollar business? Then can I run a $10 million business? And you just keep like asking these questions and then the vision of what you believe you can accomplish gets greater and greater. Ground Up, episode 23. Chris Savage figured $60,000 would be enough. After he and his co-founder, Brendan Schwartz, founded and launched Wistia in 2006, their initial aspirations were quite modest. Their total living expenses at the time were around $1,600 a month, which included rent in a 10-person house in Cambridge, Mass., food, and servers. Their first customer paid them $400, so they figured, if we can get a few more of these, we'll break even. Savage admits their vision wasn't grand back then, but technology was in their favor. Smartphones, social media, live streaming, the technological advancements of the next several years would create a wave that Wistia was well-positioned to ride. In my recent conversation with Wistia's founder and CEO, I asked them about those early years, how they generated initial traction, the inspiration behind their quirky brand, and where Wistia is headed next. Wistia has been around since like 2006, which is like ancient, right? In SaaS. So <laughs> yeah. uh, what's the, like, how did Wistia get started? What's the, what's the garage story? What's the dorm room story? Do you have one of those? Yeah. Um, so I met my co-founder, Brendan, at Brown. We lived in the same freshman hall and we're good friends in college. We graduated Brown in 2005 and um, started Wistia 2006, almost a year later exactly from when we graduated and basically, we just saw big changes happening in the these online video space. So the technology was changing really fast. And it was going from this thing that was like really hard to get a video online technically to it. There were now many tools that were being built that were making it easy. And they all had the same open source um, backend tools to do the video encoding, which was making it easy. And so Brent and I saw that happening. We'd always talked about starting a business and we thought, you know, this online video thing, it's going to be huge. There's going to be tons of new applications for video on the web. Let's jump in and try to figure this out. And uh, we came up with like a complicated idea for a filmmaking competition website and how the voting would work and all this stuff. And that was complicated enough that we thought it was smart. We started a month later, realized it was stupid. Um, but because we'd started, we kept going, and it took us about a year of staying focused on the same problem of like how do you use video better on the web to focus on how do you how do how can we help businesses better use video on the web? Um, and we found a problem. Uh, we found customers, and our, our first solution was using um, Wistia. The first version of Wistia was a private video sharing tool designed to help companies share videos internally. And we were competing in places where companies previously were using DVD to share video internally. Wow. All right. So it was, it was more of an internal tool mm -hmm. like on that first contact with, with, with the market, let's say. Mm -hmm. Right. Because this is, I mean, 2006, this is uh, Facebook was in the early stages, if, if at all, rolling out to like a wider audience beyond colleges and, and high schools, Twitter not around Instagram, not around uh, the iPhone hadn't even launched yet. Right. So well, it started. Yeah. They launched, I think in 2007. Yeah. A year later, which I mean, even in the early days of that, right. Like it was, yeah. it was, yeah, you couldn't just take your phone out and do what you do now, like in terms yeah. of video. So yeah. What, um, how did it, how did it move from this sort of project that you were working on with, with Brendan to, this is what, this is what we're going to do. Like this is, this is, this is where we're going to put our focus. This is going to be our job, or this is what we want to build. Or was it not that at first? Like what was that initial vision? Yeah. So we initially thought we'd start a business and we'd sell it in six months or we'd run out of money. <laughs> sell, it, sell it in six months. Yeah. That's what we just had no idea. I mean, I was 22, right? So I had literally no idea. Um, and then a year later we got our first customer who paid us $400 a month, which was amazing. And our total expenses at that time, we were living in a 10-person house in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, 
And we so we, our first customer was paying us $400 a month and our total cost for Brett and I, living expenses, food, servers, everything was 1600 a month. So the first customer were like, hmm, we just need three more and we will be... <laughs> We'll break even. <laughs> it will break even. Um, and the vision was not huge back then, except we we're in a big market. Um, and we honestly, we thought the space was going to change faster. And a lot of the things that we thought was going to happen happened. They just took many years more than we expected. And so the way that the business evolved is we just focused on niches where we thought we could win. There was nobody else really focused on that niche. We could make something really good and we could figure out how to run a business. And that first thing was the private video sharing thing. And we were afraid of tr having the ability to embed videos and put them on your website because we thought then we'd be competing with YouTube. Um, and we didn't want to compete with YouTube. We wanted something that was really focused and really solved a really clear problem. And so we spent after, you know, a year in, we got our first customer. Then it took us another two and a half years to get to about 30 customers. And they were all still using us for private video sharing. Um, so using us for training videos and big companies. We had video production companies using us to for collaboration so they could share unfinished videos and um, before they shared them with a client or to get feedback from a client. And I came from that world, so I understood that problem really well. And then about three and a half years in, we started to get requests for uh, the ability to embed the videos on your website and to, and we'd actually built analytics already for training and um, people wanted to embed the videos on their website and they wanted to see how those videos were performing. And we fought that for a while because we thought it was too far outside the scope of what we did. Um, but we eventually listened to our customers and we launched a version of Wistia where you could embed and you could track how the videos were performing. Um, and we, at that same moment, we launched the ability to self service into the product. So previously, like our first customers were all closed on actual paper. That's how we close the deals or faxing things back and forth. <laughs> um, our first credit card number was written on a legal pad, like that we got from a customer and entered into, um, our processor directly. So it was like, we launched a self service version of the product. This would have been in 2010. And uh, then it took off. So we went from 30 customers, three and a half years into the business, to 200 customers two months later. So there's a couple of things in there I wanted, I wanted to dig into. The first one being, so the decision to allow users to embed video on their website so they could see it and see how it's performing, that, that's a pretty big pivot, right? Because up until that point, you were primarily... Uh, for internal use, right? So for, for companies to use for internal purposes. And then at that point, you're now you're now sort of customer facing, right? And people are going to be uploading videos on their website. Was that, was that uh, a, a big pivot point for you guys? Um, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was funny because we had been getting that request for a while, which we were surprised by. We were making, um, we were making embed codes for customers on a video by video basis when they wrote into support. And it did feel like a big pivot and it felt scary because we weren't, we didn't have published pricing to that point. It just said Wistia starts at $79 a month, but there was no context about what you got for $79 a month. Someone had to talk to us. Um, and so it felt like, it felt like a big change. And then once it started working, it really, we realized just how big of a change it was. Um, and we had to change the default in the product, the default in our positioning from being private video sharing to public. And then eventually that evolved to the realization that's really helping people with video marketing. So you were hand coding embed codes at that point when people would write into support? Yes, that's right. At that point, how many how many people did you have on the team? Four. Oh, so you, Brendan, and then your first two hires. Yeah. So and then you said at that around that same time you transitioned to self-serve model. Well yeah. what what did the what did the business and the sales model look like up until that point? Um, it was, you know, very hands-on, like, uh, people, we were doing outbound, like calling in a disorganized way. We were handling calls on the inbound. Um, we had our phone number on the site. We were doing demos. We were trying anything we could to talk to people. And then each deal was pretty custom based on how much 
you know, how many videos, how much storage, how much bandwidth they thought they needed. And we tried, we were just constantly trying different business models out, trying to find the right one. And then when we went to self-serve, we felt we had confidence from that experience that, well, it wouldn't be, our pricing and our business model wouldn't be perfect. It would probably be pretty close to what it would need to be because we'd talked to hundreds of people that had turned into 30 customers. And when you got to that point, the uh, transitioning to the self-serve model, did you have a good feel at that point for who the ideal customers were, right? Because moving to that kind of model kind of necessitates you having a really good feel for the journey, what, what things they need to see, when, when they need value, what the value sort of uh, statement is. So who, I, I guess, did you have a really good idea of who the customer was at that point? And, and if so, who were they? Yeah, so it's interesting because we always had built the product kind of we built a product we'd want to use ourselves. And so it was really designed for like SMBs, but we'd been trying to sell in a more enterprise way at first. And we just ran into a lot of trouble where the people we were talking to didn't value the stuff that we were doing. And we had smaller companies that were reaching out to us saying, I want this, but Wistie's way too expensive. And at that point, I think we'd evolved to like our default off the rack prices for Wistia were like $400 a month or $800 a month. And, um, then we talked to people who wanted to buy Wistia for $10 a month or 15 or 20 or 30. And there was just this complete disconnect. And part of the disconnect was also that the product was really simple and easy to use. We'd always focused on that and SMBs valued that more. So we were pretty confident that w- this would allow SMBs to sign up who weren't signing up before. Um, and we just felt like the product should speak for itself. It should be simple enough that people can figure out how to use everything themselves. And um, we ended up being right, which was quite fortunate. <laughs> right. And that's, that's early. So this is around what, 2009, 2010. That's, those are, that's early days too. For, I mean, now freemium model is sort of like expected, right? That sort yeah. of low barrier of entry into the product. Um, yeah. It, you know, product is, is the new marketing now. But back then that was, that was, that was probably a bold move, right? I mean, also probably a necessary one for a smaller team and, but for, for a team that knew really well what the value was and what the needs were, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because, so that was in 2010 and we had raised an angel round in 2008 that was 650,000 and we were still just four people. Um, And the thing that was particularly bold about it, I think was that, uh, you got to sell a lot of customers to when your prices are a lot lower to have it be good business. Right. And so it was definitely risky and early. And actually if we'd grown the team to be a lot bigger, I don't think we would have had the confidence to make the switch. Um, but we felt confident because we were still four people. We've been four people for two years since we'd raised that first angel round. And we thought if we can just keep this going, um, and not increase our expenses, this should give us a path to building a lasting business. And um, it was actually quite something because we were running out of money about three months after we made that switch. Um, and so we needed more money. And because we made that switch, and because the number of customers ramped so dramatically, we went back to our angel investors and said, we have good news and bad news. Good news <laughs> Customer numbers are going way up. Bad news is uh, we're running out of money. But fortunately, we think our good news trumps our bad news. Like, what do you think? Just, it seems like there's something here, right? And they were all like, yep, seems like there's something here. And so we were able to raise a second angel round based off of that traction and then never had to raise more money again. Yeah, that sort of answered my my next question, which was how were you funding yourselves at this point? So sounds like their angel investment had come prior prior to that prior to going self-serve um what uh what was that initial pitch to investors before you really had you know a growing user base um video uh, obviously it it was i guess it was it's easy to look back now and say you knew where it was going but um you know the, the smartphone explosion sort of was just beginning right video and social media wasn't easy it was clunky so like what was the pitch to to those to your angel investors in those early days yeah the pitch was we are two people working on this problem and somehow big companies are trusting us. 
So we had like Sonos Networks, which is a, with the time was a $2 billion public telecommunications company. Nestle Nutrition, which is a giant uh, business. Right, nice. um, we were talking to HBO, all these like huge names. And we're like, look, we're two people. This is going to be a big, this clearly is going to be a big business. We've only been doing this for a small period of time. We need help. Um, we think we need to get some people who have done this before. And um, we think that this is the beginning of like a huge shift in video. And for, you know, the angels acted like real angels. And we had um, actually our, our MRR when we raised that first round was about like 1600 a month. So we were just break even. And um, we said, look, like we're, we're already here. Like this is going to be huge. We're going to get there a lot faster if we can bring a couple more people on. And they, they're like, yeah, we'll take a risk. Sounds good. So, you know, it took a, a few months but the pitch was just really like the market and then how much traction we gotten and readily admitting the fact that we were clearly inexperienced and had never done this before. And yet we found that. And I, it's kind of crazy when I think about where they were, where we were and the risks that our angels took. Um, because if someone came to me today and they said, I have a business that's making a thousand dollars a month in MRR. Will you invest? I'd be like, I don't know. Like that's so early, you know, it's so easy to have a false positive. It, it's hard to, uh, to do that. Right, and I'm I'm sure they're I'm sure they're happy today. Right, this is a long time ago, but oh, they're uh, delighted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that's interesting. Though using sort of customer proof and uh, you know using brands like HBO to to point to like, hey, there, there's something here, right? Um, so fast forward again to that uh, to this sort of inflection point where the user base was growing after moving to the self-serve model and you're kind of running out of funding. What did the, um, so what did that model look like? So it was a self-serve model. Was it a free trial? Was it like a freemium plan that they could stay on for, uh, you know, yep. however long a number of videos or bandwidth reached or anything? Yep. What did that look like? Um, so it was a free trial back then. It was a two week free trial. And, um, I think that initially it was converting at like, 15 or 20 ish percent of people who signed up would convert to paid, which we thought was pretty good. Wow. Do you remember if you were, were you requiring a credit card back then to initiate the trial? We were not no. Oh, wow. So 20% of people were going afterwards to input their credit card information. That that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, and then we did that. We, we that we followed that exact model for another couple of years. Um, and then, we, so this is now six years into building the business. We decided that the product really was what was selling people. We had to get more people in there. Um, and so then we switched to making it not a free trial, but making it a free account. Right. Right. That drove an enormous, that, that drove a, a big shift in the business because it really drove like a huge shift in the audience. Um, so the numbers of people signing up every month really started to like increase, increase, increase. And then that meant that it actually magnified not only like the percentage of people converting dropped, but the, um, the, the audience that was, you know, paying attention to the blog posts we were making, the videos we were making, all that stuff just got so much greater really quickly that it more than made up for it. How did you structure the free plan? In, in those days. So was it, uh, you know, in order to, to sort of funnel people towards a paid plan. So was it, uh, I remember for a while, I think Wistia had like, uh, bandwidth sort of buckets that might've yeah. been on paid plans though. But how, how did you structure the free plan back then? Um, we basically just limited it by the number of videos. So we said you could have up to three videos in this free plan and, but beyond that, you're going to have to pay. So similar to what it is today, right? You guys, still, yeah. you have a free plan that's just like that today, right? Yeah. And we've tried a lot of other things, but that has worked very well, partially because some people think three videos doesn't seem like a lot. Um, and what we found is that, and it's funny, it was true at the beginning, it's still true now, is like three videos is actually enough for someone to understand the value. But if we put too many videos on it, then it made it almost harder, it, it made it harder to see the value because people were not thinking about their most important videos going on there to learn from, but like every video. And even though you might end up putting every video on there, we, it, it's actually better for us if people put their most important. Um, Cause they understand from the analytics and the control and you start seeing the differences in traffic and, the other, and you start understanding like 
just all the features that we do that are designed to help marketers market better video. Um, that stuff you can figure out actually pretty quickly, even though before you sign up, that might you might not know that you can. So I assume the nurturing, I mean, this is fast forwarding to now, but the, the nurturing is heavily focused on getting people up to those three videos. Like what are the, what are the, what, yeah, what have you guys sort of learned by watching your free users use the account? We've learned that there's like, it's really interesting, but there's like, there's definitely a correlation. The faster you get someone to do the things, um, they benefit and learn from them. And if you, if you take too long for them to see the core differentiated things, then, um, they assume that they don't exist or that it's not worth the time. So everything we do now is about helping people get their videos in the system, see how they're performing. Um, and, you know, depending on which different feature we're playing with or trying at that time, there's usually some other thing that we're pushing that's designed to help them get more from their video. And um, it kind of evolves as the market evolves. I mean, I think that's another thing that's interesting is having done this this long, there are things that we've had, you know, four years ago, two years ago, sometimes that were super differentiated that now become the thing that everybody just kind of assumes that is like a baseline need. And so it's actually like one of the things about doing it well is continuing, continuing to evolve um, what things you want to highlight in the nurturing. And usually those are the new things you're building. Um, but that was an interesting interesting lesson do you find like what's what's the aha moment for people now is it like seeing a a specific analytics is it uh is it hitting that three video mark like have you guys uncovered that it's yeah it's usually when someone sees the um it's when someone sees the analytics of someone else watching a video right and they can sort of see where they rewatched once you see that dropped off wait (laughs) there's a way that people interact with video that i wasn't thinking about the I would the insights that I would gain from this are probably different than the insights I would gain from a different tool, and then that causes you to invest more in it, and then that you know then you start to get the payoffs. Right, right. That's super easy. We'll, we'll get back into this because I, I kind of jumped ahead, got excited, but um, so uh, back again to that inflection period. You know, you had the free trial, um, self serve model, uh, user base was growing. Uh, the next few years, I imagine. Uh, growth picked up as social was rolled out more to businesses. Obviously, now you're talking 2011, 12, 13, 14, you know, and onwards, right? Uh, Facebook is huge, still is. Um, uh, it still wasn't easy at that time to film video with your phone, but it was easier to consume it. So, like, what were those, I guess, like, what were some of the biggest uh, evolutions taking place in the market that had a positive impact on business for Wistia? I mean, yeah, the, the cost of producing video has just been plummeting. Um, so what that has done is it's created like a huge, uh, number of people who are basically individual person video production teams, which you couldn't even say that 10 years ago, like it was impossible to have one person do everything themselves. And now it's more than possible. One person can make incredible looking videos, um, themselves. And that meant that companies started hiring video producers because that's now not abnormal. But it was. It was normally like last year, like a giant business, but now we see small businesses and small marketing teams that hire someone to make um, videos internally. So all of those trends were hugely important to us. Um, and then, in terms of things that we were able to control that were huge drivers, um, the content marketing and really started to teach outside of just teaching about our product, but teaching about more our mission. Um, Really, as we started to figure that out, it was an enormous driver of growth for the business. Right, because the you, you, obviously Wistia has a strong video blog, but also a lot of content too, right? In general, so um, I imagine that picked up. Uh, so in the in the early days, it sounded like it was a lot of kind of more one to one, even some 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 cold outreach in order to generate that initial user base. But at what point do you feel like the content sort of uh, picked up steam uh, and things really started to come together. Yeah, so it was probably 2012 is when things really started to roll. And we had made a couple pieces of content that were um, really out far far outside of what we'd done in the past. So we made um, a library piece called the DIY Lighting Kit. 
um, which was how you could go to Home Depot and build a lighting kit for less than 100 bucks, so it'd make your videos look better. We made pieces that were um, about how to start using your iPhone, about how to use audio better, a bunch of things that really had nothing to do at the time. We were really just focused on video hosting. And they had very, very little to do with delivering um, files to your computer so you could view them. And what started to happen is we realized we were creating an audience that cared about this stuff and they were willing to share this with other people because it wasn't selling a product. And so the audience started to grow faster and faster and faster and everything we sent out to the audience was growing faster. And so we built this engine of content and uh, you know, we're still doing that, right? Like it's still working. It's still helping us um, with sharing and um, an enormous amount of our traffic comes through that. And over time it built up like the SEO that you get from that. And then you can start looking and figuring out which posts are doing best. And so should we be, practically going and advertising those posts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that was an engine that we started to build. And it's a hard engine to build because the, for so long, you know, it, it's like spikes and valleys until you're really big enough that you have enough lasting hits that they sustain you. And then that gives you the ability to take more risk and think bigger. And you just, but you have to keep kind of asking yourself that question. You have to keep thinking bigger and keep taking more risk. And then I can remember too, it started to become commonplace to see sort of the Wistia embed on websites. I remember probably the most notable one was Whiteboard Fridays, right? Rand Fishkin on Moz. Um, he was on this podcast recently and mentioned, uh, actually name-dropped Wistia um, as like a, uh, obviously a big part of his process. So uh, uh, that, that must have helped tremendously, right? To ha- start having bigger brands and, and, and influencers in the space really start to leverage video consistently and hey you know wisty is sort of the uh the 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 banner image for that so network effects right kind of kind of took into that's right took into it was also effort. like it was at a, t- a time when everyone was like basically couldn't really fathom why you wouldn't want to put all your videos on youtube because it was like all right put your videos on youtube because it's the second biggest search engine put your video on youtube because it's gonna go viral all the time and it was like, that was like the hot thing. And so everyone was talking about it. But then of course, we all see the same viral videos, but no one sees the vast majority of videos that aren't viral. And what was happening with us and what was happening with Moz and some other companies is that they started making content on their site that they were in control of. And in the right communities, I think especially in the marketing communities, you'd go to Moz, you'd see like, oh, these Wistia videos. You start to see other companies using Wistia videos. And kind of, I think the click and the realize is like the realization was that these people weren't just generating traffic to a YouTube page that was then going to be hard to get that traffic off of YouTube onto their site. They're just making traffic, get generating traffic to their website in the first place. And you do the math, and if you're trying to get people to sign up for your product, you're going to try to get people to buy something. It's just a lot easier to get them to buy something if they're already on your site. You've just removed like a major moment of friction. And you've added a major point of value. You can retarget, you can do a million different things once someone hits your website. And so I think it was that combination and this realization that we were building this audience, Moz was building an audience, MailChimp was building an audience, a bunch of different people were doing it at the same time. And then we started to see marketers get hit with the realization of like, oh, we should treat video as a medium that can help me accomplish a goal, but I should treat it differently when I'm putting it in different places because I should expect different things from it. Right. It was sort of the the difference between owned media and 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 having yeah, like you said, stuff in your own backyard to drive traffic. And I think one of the differentiators between Wistia and other people in the space, you know, I'll 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 name Vimeo as one of them, is you kind of allowed brands to keep their SEO strategies intact, right? Without you, you weren't just sort of necessarily driving people to Wistia's. Um, you know, backyard with, you know, recommended things to watch next and Wistia's is navigation sort of in the video, which, you know, other, other, uh, other brands were doing or still are. So yes. was that a, was that sort of a, a, a conscious decision? I'm, I'm sure it was to, yeah. to, to play into that owned media aspect. Um, yes, that, that was a conscious decision from the beginning. And, um, I think we were lucky and right that, you know, YouTube, um, Vimeo, Facebook, 
even Twitter, although I feel like Twitter's doing a better job of this now, but let's talk about Facebook. They have an incentive to be walled gardens, right? And, you know, on Facebook, it's like, oh, you want to build up an audience? Great. Now you have to pay us to get stuff in front of your audience. And they just made another change, which is even more true that it's harder to get content in front of your own audience. Um, and same thing with YouTube. Like, they've been on this evolution to try to eat the TV advertising industry. And they're doing it. They're doing a fantastic job of it. And I watch YouTube on my Apple TV. If I had links and stuff in a, in a if you have a link in a YouTube video, it's only going to work if it brings you to another YouTube video or if you subscribe to something. And so it's much more a walled garden than it used to be. Um, and we always felt like over the long term and in the long tail, people want traffic to their website. And um, we should do everything we can to get out of the way and give you tools to if you have a video that's yours, like the, our business model is different. Like you pay us for this thing to be hosted so people can see it, but you also get complete control. So you get all the benefits. Right. That, that was huge. I mean, that was huge for us. Um, you know, at, at Databox and, and making that decision too, from, from a video standpoint, like YouTube is, is another social network. And like you said, they have control over, uh, and they can pull the rug out from really at, at any time on, on your level of access to your own audience. Whereas if you build, build things that you own in your own backyard on your own domain, um, that's gonna, you know, in, in, in like in Wistia's case, right? Like you guys have built content that's evergreen that, that, yeah. you know, ranks and, and still drives a ton of traffic and leads. I'm sure. Um, I don't know if you get that from, from YouTube. I know there's a lot of celebrities that sort of made themselves off YouTube, but they weren't dependent on a domain, right? It was just more of like a personality. Exactly. And ad dollars. It, so. like, if you are just doing a brand play, like as a celebrity or you're somebody who sells stuff in stores, right? Like, if I'm trying to convince you to buy some specific thing, you know, like a beer, and you are only going to buy that beer in a physical store, not doesn't really help me that much to get traffic to my website, right? Just get you to like have an emotional connection to me through some branded content, and that's good enough. Um, and so I think there's a ton of content of people that YouTube makes perfect sense for, and also YouTube can make sense as a top of funnel initiative. Like we do, we put things on YouTube and spend, um, you know, do YouTube advertising, but we don't expect to drive traffic from it. And we, we have, we do it with things where we think like the brand impact is going to be important, but you know, it's the, it's the minority of what we do because we tend to invest in things where you see a return, like pretty clearly. Right. Right. So, so kind of going back into this period of, you know, 2012, 2013, when you said you really started to hit a groove. Did your, how did your vision sort of evolve? Because I, I remember you said earlier, like, obviously you went from initially, we just want to break even, you know, we want to pay rent. I remember you and I yeah. talking a few years ago and I forget what the number was in your head. I, I want to say like 60,000, but I remember you said something like at the beginning, we were just like, if we can make $60,000 a year, each of us off this, we'd be ecstatic. So yeah, obviously we want to make 60,000 total, <laughs> 60,000 total. Yeah. So if we 30,000, we would be ecstatic and we'd be able to survive. Right. Right. Be able to eat. Um, yeah. so obviously things were a lot different in 2012, 2013, Wistie had grown tremendously. So like, how did your vision change at that point? Um, it, I mean, it, it just constantly evolved. I feel like wherever you are, you're there and you start dreaming bigger about like things you can do. There was a long period of time where I was like, can I run a business that has five people in it? Like, oh my God, like how will we manage these people? What will happen? And I was like, can I run a business that has 10 people? And it was like, then can I run a million dollar business? Then can I run a $10 million business? And you just keep like asking these questions. Um, and then the vision of what you believe you can accomplish gets greater and greater, at least in, in my experience. Um, and so it's evolved a ton. And I think one of the interesting things now is that, well, in 2012, I was probably thinking about 2012, we were, you know, because we grew the headcount really slowly so we could make sure that we were profitable up until that point uh, or be getting profitable. We were probably 15-ish people, I would say, something like that. Um, and then we, as we got more people, we took on more ambitious projects. We took on more projects that were outside the scope of what we were doing before. So we built 50 Grove, um, which was a video production directory. We built a community. We built a started doing Wistia Fest. We started doing a lot of different stuff um, that were all, you know, farther away from the core product designed to, you know, help the business and help grow the brand. 
Um, and then the vision got really wide. And then we realized you can only do so many things at once and do them really well. And so we like tightened it back up. And then we focus more on like the vision for what the products can really um, become. Was that part of the decision? You mentioned WistyFest. WistyFest was a, was a great event that had a really cult-like following, right, of, of really passionate video marketers, and, uh, and you ran it for several years and uh, recently announced that uh, you, you guys were ending it. So was that sort of part of like uh, an effort to, to sort of renew focus? Yeah, I mean, basically, we did a lot. We've done a lot of stuff that seemed like a really good idea, and it was, and then we scaled it up, and it was a good idea, and it was really fun. And like, you know, WistiaFest is something I was extremely proud of and one of my favorite moments in the year. And, um, but we decided, at least in that case, that we always found we did, took a lot of feedback, and people always told us that, told us that they loved the conference, they loved with being with the community, and they loved how like intimate it felt. Like, they really loved. The ability that you could run into the same people over and over. It wasn't some 2,000 person conference. You felt like you built, built like real connections. And the problem we ran into is that it's a ton of time and effort and work for two days of impact. Um, and we didn't, we felt like the way it was set up was not something that we were, we were going to become less excited about in the future. Um, the way that it was set up and we needed to kind of rethink why we're doing it and we shouldn't just do things because we've done them before. And so we decided, and it was a hard decision to, to make, let's stop doing it the way that we're doing it, give ourselves a little breathing room, give the community a little breathing room and then figure out like, what's the next way that we want to move forward. And, um, you know, things that we, it was always in the same place. It was always here. We were always, you know, generating all this new content every year, even though a lot of the things are still this, were the same year to year. Um, and so, yeah, it was really about renewed focus on what we can do best and where we're going to get the biggest impact. And it um, doesn't mean that we won't do events in the future or that we wouldn't even bring it back. I'm not even saying that. Just that uh, we felt like we needed to be away from it from a little bit to, to truly understand its power and decide if it's something we should continue or if it's something we should evolve or, and in the meantime, we're more focused and able to make more of a impact on our, on our core products. Right. Right. And one of the, one of those, right. I mean, for the longest time, Wistia was video hosting and analytics. Yeah. And then soapbox came into the equation, which is a, a great tool that we use heavily at, uh, at data So talk about uh, what the purpose of that was uh, and, and, and sort of like how that's working. Yeah. So, um, Soapbox is a Chrome extension that allows you to record your webcam and your screen at the same time and then create transitions between your webcam and your screen so that when someone's playing it back, they can see you full screen or they can say, see your screen full screen or you one third and your screen two thirds. And basically, it's an evolution of what we've been teaching um, through our marketing for the last five years, which is that video is getting easier and easier to make and it's easier and easier to make professional looking video. And the insight that we had is we saw in our customer base teams helping to make videos for one person. So we saw uh, internal video production company, like internal video production teams inside of businesses going to their partnership people and helping to make a video for one person or making a video for one prospect or one partner or just like, which seems almost like the recognition that we have is like that, that feels kind of insane, like how far we've come. And then... We've seen that the biggest hurdle that most companies have to using video is that, well, um, they they might be taking videos with their friends and family all the time, using Snapchat and Instagram all the time. It needs to be professional for you to use it at work. And so the goal with Soapbox is to make it really easy for someone to make a quick video that could be for one person that looks really professional. And if we could accomplish all those things, then we thought that we'd be capturing um, a little bit of that behavior change. And we could encourage and further our mission, which is to make business more human and allow people to have better connections with the people that they work with. So that is kind of like where the impetus from the uh, for for it came from. Um, and so far, it's going great. I mean, it's actually mind boggling to me because we launched it at WCFS last year, which is in June. Um, at this point, like hundreds of thousands of videos have been created with that. Um, I think we're at like. 70 ish thousand installs on it. And, you know, it's like, uh, we started having a paying version of it in November and that's doing really well. And I look at the numbers and I'm like, 
man, it took for us to get to these numbers with Wistia took like in some cases like eight years, you know, <laughs> like, a, like a long time. And in this case, it's been um, nine months so far. So, um, yeah, it's fun. It's also we can use it internally so much like our sales team uses it a ton. Our support team uses it a ton. We use it for internal communication all the time um, because it's just so easy to make the emotional intent of what you're communicating so clear. And there's so much information on that. Um, so yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really fun. I've been really proud that we've been able to, uh, to do that. How does that, um, but you guys mentioned you had a, uh, you offered a paid version of it, uh, late last year. And then obviously Wistia users can export their videos from soapbox into their, their Wistia account as well. So how, how has it been, uh, like, what have you guys learned in terms of like how, how it converts into like paid, paid customers and, and, and all that? Yeah, it's been converting pretty well. Um, the big thing is like we with Wistia, we never had a we didn't start with a free version. We started with a paid, and by the time we had free, we kind of went backwards, right? Like by the time we went free, we already knew everything that people wanted when they were per- like why people purchase basically really concisely. And with Soapbox, we don't yet. Um, and there's some minimal things in the paid version right now. We have an update coming in the next two weeks. that's like much more substantial. Um, and we took the different approach of like, let's try to get to scale, see how people are using it, talk to a lot more, uh, customers about how they're using it, what that types of things they want, and then build those things in that order. So it's, it's been about at where we expected it to be, but we really think of it as a very long-term thing. Um, like I think it'll generate, you know, a significant amount of revenue for us this year, but if we do our jobs really well and we focus, then the hope is that in three to five years, it's like a really significant, um, really significant product. And in that period of time that we figured out how to really have soapbox and Wistia play really nicely together because we've got some stuff between them today, but there's a lot of things that Wistia can do that soapbox can't do. We have a lot of people who purchase soapbox, um, about 40% of people who purchase Soapbox accounts are not Wistia customers, which is really interesting. And so while we do have a lot of overlap, there's a lot of people who don't even need Wistia. And so it'll change, I think, what we build in, in each product to try to make them really complete on their own, but also have, make sure that if you're using both together, that they play really, really nicely. All right. So this is going to be something that you guys have a have a focus on right not just like a set it and forget it top of funnel type tool this is something that oh no this is we are really invested in it and um especially yeah we have a very very real focus on it nice and uh and you mentioned uh how you worked backwards at wistia kind of started with a paid product and went to free um uh, it's sort of a question about the brand and, and how, and how you, how Wistia has approached product announcements and, and just like the, the quirky brand that, that Wistia has has always been something I think that, that stands out to me. Um, the free product, when you guys launched that, was that the time that you, you hired like a marching band, right? And, and filmed it. Um, so yeah, the marching band was for, uh, when we introduced new pricing plans that had like, um, market automation integrations on them and we were calling it the enterprise plan back then and so we like had the giant parade the enterprise parade <laughs> well I, I guess like what what it must be amazing for Wistia to be the kind of work environment where somebody's like what if we hired a marching band All right like how does is that just part of the sort of uh the the culture uh that, that the, the the brand is is afforded those kind of opportunities um, yeah. And it's kind of funny. It's like one of the things that we did out of necessity in the early days, because we just had, or also out of like time and boredom, like we had so much time because we weren't successful that we were willing to try crazier th- and crazier things. Cause we felt like no one was paying attention. And then just when we felt like no one was paying attention, we were doing really crazy things for us. People were like, wow, we love that crazy stuff you're doing. I'm like, what? <laughs> like we thought no one was watching. Um, and then it kind of, we realized, wow, this can really power us. And so then we scaled up and it's, you know, it's honestly, it's, it's always a balance in a conversation of like how, um, how crazy should we be in launches and in communication and how deep do you go in terms of teaching 
on a topic to really try to make it truly remarkable. And uh, it's definitely something that's in the culture. And it's something that's interesting because when you get a lot bigger too, there's also just a lot more opportunity to like optimize and do things in a smart, better way. You know, for years, our site was set up horrifically from like an SEO perspective, but we, we were still doing great from organic traffic because we were getting so many links and there was like, cause we were making so much content, we weren't even paying attention. And then we had like real technical marketers come in and they're like, um, just so you know, you have a million competing pages. This is a complete nightmare. You have to change. There's like no title tags. There's nothing. You need to fix all this stuff. We're like, uh-oh. So then we spent a while like trying to like up the, like our technical game, which I think was important for our long-term um, SEO health. And then at the same time, you're trying to figure out like how do you balance that with like doing the wild and crazy stuff. So yeah, it's just, it's all cultural really. Um, and it's, those are the things that we highlight and we talk about in company meetings and in team meetings. So the goal is like, if we can, if we can show off when those things work well and make a good example out of them, then other people will want to try to do them too. So what's working like, uh, you know, bring us up to date to today. What works really well in terms of, you know, acquisition conversion, like what's working really well for Wistia these days? Um, so it's still content content's like a huge, huge driver for us. Um, and we have figured out that there is like, you know, a, basically a way to think about the funnel where, uh, at the top of the funnel, it's not always advertising, but even though it's easy to think that, like, it's almost like the funnel is we want people to come in organically and then we're going to use other means to like make sure that they're engaged and they are in tune with the brand. Um, and then giving people time to work their way through the funnel, I think is another thing that took us a long time to realize that like some people, it's going to be a year before they touch Wistia before they sign up for an account. That's going to be another six months before they sign up after they sign up from an account before they purchase. And that's fine. And rushing people when there's actually internal processes going on about how they're trying to figure out how to use video is not very helpful. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it seems silly. It's just the simple stuff. It's just like paying attention to that, looking at work, it's what's working organically and then turning around and putting money behind the things that are already working. Um, and it's really think about each channel discreetly. So, you know, if we're doing things on social, it's, evaluating those things um differently you know we're not expecting to get tons of customers right away we have to build an audience on social first and that's so that adds just be engaged that's to be interacting with us and like only we have to, after we earn enough um time and attention should we expect to get traffic converting and uh it's been interesting to see that like facebook was something that for a long time we had a facebook page we did stuff with it but over last year we really started investing in content that was just for Facebook and we put money behind it. And by the, well, it started really small by the end of the year, it became a really significant portion of our traffic and converted at a great rate. Um, but it took us, took us probably like six, 10 months of consistently doing that before we found, um, opportunities there that were really, 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 really good. So was it just like original video that you would promote on, uh, through Facebook? Yeah, basically, like we used to do like teasers of things. And what we found is that it's so hard to get traffic off of Facebook that we were better off. We made we didn't even try. We just tried to get people to have like a really strong interaction with the stuff that's on there. And we did that. And then eventually you get like so many people having strong interactions with the content that it that starts to attract other people in their networks in. And then you start getting traffic of new visitors of people who haven't heard about us and stuff like that before. Um, so it's almost like we had to make enough of a concentration of an audience there and we had to fuel that audience with new content that was for Facebook with advertising dollars behind it to, to kind of like up the audience. Um, and only then did we get a big enough kind of like group on each piece of content that enough people would be like, what the hell is this Wistia thing and come back and figure it, find it and sign up. What worked there? Would would it be like instructional videos or like, was there a specific length that you found worked well? Because I, I, I've always felt that like, man, it must be tough to, to, you know, publish a, 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 a video specifically for Facebook. Like if somebody's supposed to stop scrolling for two minutes or five minutes or whatever it is, like, what have you found that works really well there? Um, you know, what's funny. Um, the stuff that has worked well there is like the opposite of what you would think. So 
or opposite of what I thought. We used to try to have stuff that was like about our product and pretty close in to what Wistia is. And then that was working okay. And then we made like really insane like brand videos that had almost nothing to do with the product. And those things were, it almost seemed like a complete waste of time, but they seemed to be working. And my key insight was this. If you are at work and you are on Facebook, who is our target audience, right? People at work, you're not working. (laughs) (laughs) True. So if you're on Facebook at work and you're not working and you could see something from a company that you could be working with and it's actually genuinely fun or interesting, that's what you're looking for in that moment. And that is what will end up hooking you. And that's how you can like turn something that was like someone just like wasting time or communicating with friends or whatever. You can almost like take them out of that and bring them back to work. That's an interesting way of looking at it, right? Kind of just move with it. And if you're not at work, it's probably a lot harder to get you to think about it, right? Like if you're at home on the couch. So yeah, embrace the non-working worker. (laughs) Exactly. And then, yeah, exactly. Because like if they're seeing this, there must be something about what they do that is makes them a good target customer. So we're probably not far away, but then it's like, well, would I prefer to work with a brand like Wistia or would I prefer to work with a brand like, I don't know, pick something else. I'm looking at my swell water bottle right now. It's just, that's not a good example. But the, um, and that's how I feel like people can make that emotional decision. And then you go back to work, you're like, maybe we should be doing more video stuff. And you, then you go back to Wistia.com and now you're spending time, you know, looking at things that are more relevant and boom, it's now it's worthwhile. Nice. So how many employees are you guys up to now? Um, we are, I think like 91, 92. Wow. Like what's, what's the growth look like, I guess, over the past few years? Um, three years ago we were 30. So, um, we've grown quite a bit. Maybe that was three and a half years ago. Um, yeah. I mean, we went from like 30 to 50 to 70 to 90. Still Uh, mostly, still mostly self-serve or have you guys started, you know, bringing on some salespeople at the enterprise level or anything like that? We do have a sales team now. Um, we had no sales team like three years ago. We have about 15 people on sales and success, um, which we fought for a long time. And then I realized that even with an inbound model, there's a lot of people still just need to talk to somebody. And actually, it's just like a bad customer experience not to let them have someone to talk to. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been good. And for the most part, everyone's still in here in Cambridge. We do have probably like five or six remote people um, in different places. But yeah, for the most part, everyone's here. Nice. Chris, yeah. this, was, this was awesome, man, getting to know, getting to know more about Wistia and, and, and how it all started. So thanks for, uh, thanks for not only taking the time. I know we've, we've spent close to an hour here, but for being so open and transparent about everything, this was a lot of fun. Oh, happy to. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.